why Singapore has been successful uh, as a hub uh, in general, being a, a regional financial hub, global trade hub and aviation hub. First, we have a very stable uh, government and political climate. And second, we have a very effective uh, law and regulation. And of course, no corruption is always very key when people want to do business here. But on top of it, we also have other factors like we have a very business-friendly environment, right? very effective administration. And at the same time, we also have a very modern workforce. Although there's uh, issues to tackle that because we have limited resources all the time. right? In addition, we are, Singapore is also in a position that we have no uh, natural disaster. We have very good infrastructure too. Right, be energy, be water, uh, be resources. But most importantly, is connectivity too. Pre-COVID, we used to handle about um, 68.3 million passengers in 2019. During COVID, or the height of COVID, it dropped all the way down to 11.2 million or so, which is really sad in a sense because essentially more than 95% of our passenger flow was gone overnight. You know, we actually pivoted. A lot more obviously, without any passengers. We tried to grow our air freight. Vaccines was the key thing that would actually get us out from this pandemic. And I think Changi Airport, due to its air freight services, its coal chain logistics, was able to handle as a regional distribution hub for the um, COVID vaccine. And actually we were the first Asian transit shipment centre to receive the vaccine and distribute it as far away as New Zealand. So that was our role in trying to actually get through the pandemic and help the um, Asia-Pacific region, part of our contribution, you know, to actually ride and recover from the pandemic. We need to continue to enhance our connectivity within the country itself. So it's fantastic we're investing in 5G. I think that's very important. If 6G is coming or, or new you know, fibre technology broadband, we have to continue to invest to enhance that. But at the same time, to be a hub and connectivity, it's really about connectivity to the region, connectivity to the rest of the world. But we cannot sit on our laurel, we need to continue enhancing it. And this is where Kappa has you know, launched the uh, largest capacity, lowest latency fibre that connects the west coast of US to Singapore directly. And we are not stopping there. We are connected to every continent in the world. And it's always a top destination where anyone wants to build a subsea cable system that serves uh, the region itself. So all these factors actually position Singapore as a very favourable location to create a hub status. For aviation, we don't have a domestic market. It's essentially the competition that um, like the Changi Air Hub will face from um, other air hubs like in the Middle East, even in the region. And the same even for our ports. I think in the region, we are probably second or third in terms of the movement of TEUs. So essentially, we need to maintain that kind of edge or stay ahead of the competition. There'll be ports in the region that are coming up, you know, in Malaysia, Indonesia. So as long as we maintain that ecosystem in that maritime cluster, aviation cluster, financial cluster, right, it's all interconnected, we should be good, but we should not rest on our laurels. We should always be open to further collaboration with our various stakeholders and be open-minded, essentially, to the next wave of disruption or even actually disrupt ourselves. You know, and keeping with the trends before we get disrupted and we lose our businesses. Now.
the IPS SP2002 Singapore Perspectives Forum entitled City as Connected Space. My name is Faisal. And, and before I start the session to introduce the, the uh, panelists, let me allow, uh, please allow me to run through some quick housekeeping announcements. Um, please submit your questions to the panelists via the question submission section on this forum page. And you can do so at any point in time. Uh, we invite all our conference uh, 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 participants to, uh, to discuss in a respectful and safe manner, right? Um, the issues at hand. And we reserve the right to ensure that this is always the case in terms of our chat and our Q&A functions. Uh, my panelists this, this morning um, are uh, Ms. Kwa Lehun, who's the Chief Executive of the Maritime Port Authority of Singapore. She was previously the Chief Editor of Channel News Asia at Media Corp. And she brings to the NPA 12 years of public sector experience. My second panelist is Mr. Tan Chong Ming, who is the the Group Chief Executive Officer at PSA International Private Limited. He joined PSA in 2011, bringing with him a wealth of experience in managing the complexity, diversity, and breadth of global businesses. Now, uh, let me just start the discussion by uh, giving uh, my own take on the uh, global connectivity. Could I have the slides, please? Okay, next slide, please. Okay, so essentially we begin the discussion looking at the locational ad advantages that Singapore is blessed with. Perhaps the only thing bes uh, besides human capital that we actually had at the point of uh, independence, um, essentially for the airport, as, as uh, most viewers would know, we actually had to relocate from the, um, from the uh, old Pailaba Airport um, to uh, the uh, current um, uh, uh, Changi site. And it was quite a revolution to actually reclaim land, which PSA was involved at one in time as well, to actually relocate the, the, uh, the airport at, towards the sea-facing kind of front for future and uh, expansion. So essentially, uh, it created the, um, the air hub in terms of um, connectivity increase towards uh, the region and the global uh, scenario as well. And as you all know, without a domestic market, we had to pivot towards an open skies policies ourselves, inviting other carriers to locate their uh, transit passengers here in Singapore. So essentially, this enabled our air hub to actually grow and contribute to the uh, connectivity that uh, PSA has built up as well in our maritime sector. And um, our urban planners also built this into the um, urban planning, the master plan, to make the Changi region into the air hub region. Next slide, please. So essentially, this is just a, a, a rough guide, a rough picture of the connectivity that's still growing, impacted by COVID, obviously, pre-pandemic and going out from, from COVID. Um, we, we will cover issues, for example, like the, uh, the uh, uh, people, the, the, the goods movement, essentially, industry 4.0, uh, going digital disruption, that is part of our lives going forward. Uh, the companies have to transform in this evolving landscape, you know, uh, Etc. Et the, the need to reskill the human capital as well as to put in the technology that's required as we move forward. Next slide, please. So all the time as we adapt, uh, we maintain the, uh, the agility you know, and build in the resilience in terms of our um, economic and connected space. So this essentially gives you a rough idea of the spatial, simple spatial planning process uh, around the Changi Air Hub. 
we had various logistical sectors that are supporting and growing with the uh, with the air hub as as we go forward. Um, so essentially, this is what's what's happening on the on the ground in terms of the air hub space at the um, Changi region. Next slide, please. Okay, this merely is a simple slide uh, a graph to actually show you the impact that um, COVID has had on the passenger movements. Essentially. Um, Virtually, we lost more than 95% of passenger movements overnight, and um, at least half of our connectivity to the different cities' des destinations, right? So essentially, you could see this downslope. Next slide, please. The, the recovery was, was slow, but it was there as we tried to transit out from COVID. Then guess what? Omicron hit, and the VTLs were also impacted. So essentially, things are evolving, right? Next slide, please. So Changi Airport, the Changi Airport group had to pivot in other ways to, to maintain and to increase its um, revenue streams and cut down the losses, and actually pivoted uh, into the air freight sector, which is growing and actually probably up more than the pre-pandemic levels of 2019 right now. Okay, um, next slide, please. So essentially, this is a take from the EDB website. Um, I think it's, it's um, um, it, just to show you, the need to maintain the um, air and the maritime connectivity in terms of Singapore's um, development and growth going forward. Next slide, please. It's the last one, I think. And with that, I'm going to pivot now to uh, Ms. Kwa Lehun uh, to actually talk about the uh, maritime sector. Ms. Kwa, please. Thank you so much, uh, Faisal. Good morning, everyone. I thank the Institute of Public uh, Policy Studies for inviting MPA to speak at this conference. Now in Singapore, maritime and port tend to be the backbone and not much highlighted. So I'm really glad that IPS has decided to put focus on connectivity, in particularly um, on maritime connectivity, bringing Chongming and myself to this panel. And I want to add on to what Dr. Faisal has presented, focusing on maritime connectivity and global supply chain. I will speak about our global hub port, our International Maritime Centre, and our plans moving forward to plug ourselves in the global supply chain. Now, Mr. S. Rajaratnam articulated in 1972 the critical importance for Singapore to be a global city-state. As the world undergoes changes and major transition, it has never been more important for Singapore to continue to be the global city-state. Our development has been underpinned by our physical connectivity to the air and sea that was painstakingly built maintained, and carefully nurtured till date. On top of being globally connected, we are a hub of hubs. Transport-wise, we are maritime hub, aviation hub, as you have heard from Faisal earlier. Services-wise, we are technology hub, innovation hub, digital hub, legal hub, petrochemical hub, commodity trading hub, and financial center. So we need to continue to work towards being, as well, a green hub. The next steps to enhance and expand Singapore's connectivity in a post-COVID world is to go horizontal serve the global market as the foremost intermodal logistics hub and a key economic node. Let me now go into specifically global hub port on how we plan to develop ourselves in this area. Connectivity, openness, the freedom of movement are critical for a global city-state like Singapore. And our maritime activities stretch as far back as 700 years ago, trading along the old maritime silk road as Tomasic. The English East India Company set up Singapore as a free port connecting the East and the West. And we pushed forward with big ambitions. You know, I'm not, I'm sure many of you 
are not aware, but we are the first in Asia to build a container shipping port in the 1970s when container shipping wasn't prevalent then. Minister Ong Yi Kang has once described Air and Sea as the two lungs of Singapore, both Changi Airport and the Port of Singapore as one of the most connected airports and ports in the world. Let me give you some statistics. Now, over 80% of goods are transported over the seas. One third of world containers come through Singapore as a major transshipment hub handled by PSA. We've been connecting countries from the East and the West. You look at the Port of Singapore, we are connected to 600 ports in over 120 countries with daily sailings to every major port of the world. Today, we're the busiest transshipment hub and the largest bunkering hub in the world. Even during the pandemic, the Port of Singapore has been operating 24 seven and serve as a catch-up port and a one-stop service center for ships during this period. Last year, Singapore had a record year in our port performance last year, handling 37.5 million TUs. Our bunkering sales also remain strong, supplying about 50 million tons of bunker sales, our second highest year on record. I want now to speak about our International Maritime Center. We enjoy a good geographical location, so it's not just the hub port, but also the fact that we actually work hard to make our port sticky. How do we do that? Surrounding the port of Singapore is a vibrant maritime cluster and a broader ecosystem that was built over the years. So today we are ranked as the top international maritime center in the world. We have more than 160 international shipping groups based in Singapore. You look at the cluster and the ecosystem of the companies and services, it helped add value to our traditional maritime center. As a one-stop shop, we provide a range of value-added services such that the ships do not simply come here to load and unload containers. They come here to do a slew of services just like a one-stop uh, center. They do crew change, they take bunker fuels, they replenish supplies. And during the course of the pandemic, we continue to support crew changes, expanded vaccination access to include foreign seafarers on board ocean-going vessels, calling at Singapore and signing on to ships in Singapore. So our port is also the entrance to economic activities in Singapore. Our hub port connectivity fuels other sectors, including advanced manufacturing, wholesale trade, e-commerce, logistics, and cold chain. It creates a multiplier effect on our economy. So moving forward, we have another big dream, which is our Tuas port. We will now integrate Tuas port with synergistic industries to improve services, unlock value in supply chain, and reduce the overall traffic load on our road networks. Not many get to build a port from scratch, and we have the opportunity of a, life, a lifetime to create yet another milestone for Singapore and the world. So what's next? Let me elaborate. Tuas port, our future next generation future uh, next generation port. Now the vision is to build a smart next generation port that increases productivity, optimizes land use, improves safety and security, and enhances sustainability. It will be well connected both internally and externally with communities, industries, and the world. We have a big ambition to Singapore's growth from a node to hub and to hub of hubs across the logistics, manufacturing, and intermodal value chains. With Tuasport being built from scratch, we are planning for the port to receive a wide range of ships from modern mega vessels, autonomous vessels, to us being ready to adapt to ships that run on alternative fuels. We will overlay physical connectivity with digital overlays. We'll push digital as far as we can. Our future Tuasport can support and must support IoT, automation, digitalization, as well as using innovative technologies such as data analytics and artificial intelligence for decision-making. 
We have also conducted successful trials with our maritime partners like China to exchange electronic certificates for port clearance, taking a step towards unlocking next time, next level trade efficiency and boosting country-to-country -country connectivity. We'll do this at the G2G level and at the BG2B level. So the Port of Singapore will work towards connecting data to ensure seamless data transfer and strengthen digital connectivity. We'll be working on data harmonization, data sharing, and data security. Swassport will have digital port at SG. This allows a single window, simplifying formalities for ships calling at our port. And it will be expanded to include a just-in-time planning and coordination system for vessels to enjoy berthing on arrival and improve the turnaround time at port while also reducing carbon emissions. And part of our next step to also to digitalize the global supply chain to strengthen its resiliency, such as through SG Tradex, as a result of Singapore Together Alliance for Action Initiative to connect data and streamline information flow securely across supply chain ecosystem partners. And I'm sure later Chong Ming will elaborate on this because he is the lead uh, champion in this area. In view of port congestion in various parts of the world, we also believe that further efficiency can be created via digitalization to enhance port connectivity, both upstream and downstream. And we have pushed forward a digital ocean initiative to help bridge the shipping ecosystem and also facilitate data digital ports around the world to connect with one another so that a ship doesn't have to report multiple data sets and using different documents to report and get port clearance around different ports around the world. So we want to reduce administrative workload, we want to help relieve congestion, and we want to build efficiency. So a strong defense, definitely I've talked about data harmonization, I've talked about data exchange. Now, data security is important. So for cybersecurity, we are actively linking up with port authorities around the world. We are acquiring advanced cyber and data security technologies. We are training analysts as part of enhancing our maritime cybersecurity operations center. Now, next, I must talk about innovation because it's very exciting in Singapore. We are building a maritime technology or marine tech innovation hub to develop and drive innovation. Treat Singapore as a living lab. So we have ambitions to become uh, the Silicon Valley for Maritech uh, startups here in Singapore. And we are working with partners to enable the environment for startups to grow, which can include facilitating greater access to customers, capital data, and test fits. Our maritime our Maritech hub ecosystem will look to develop solutions on smart shipping, smart port, and decarbonization. So there is a maritime innovation process with partners from NUS, SSA, SMI, SMF, and IPI. And when we put forth challenge statements reflecting the pain points faced by the industry, we help to facilitate new partnerships between the maritime industry as well as the wider community startups via Pier 71 students, via SMF, marine tech companies, and research institute via the SMI. So we've got a tight ecosystem, and we want Singapore to be the living lab. Anyone who has solutions to test bait, solutions to try, come to Singapore, because we have a big global hub port, and we have ships calling on our port to be able to service this ambition. On the decarbonization front, we have set up the Global Centre for Maritime Decarbonization, and it is a PP partnership private-public partnership with six founding industry partners, and we are looking to develop solutions across the value chain. We'll also work with the Maritime Energy and Sustainability Development Center of Excellence, MESD, at NTU, to help to develop research talent and green capabilities in the maritime field. So it's very exciting. So whether the future of ship is ammonia, hydrogen, biofuel, or even bio-LNG, we will 
do our part to facilitate the energy transition for a low carbon future, integrate and digitalize supply chain. Global collaboration, innovation, going horizontal is central and it must be the next chapter of Maritime Singapore's big plan. So in summary, Maritime Singapore has and will continue to play the connector role, physical and digital, east-west, supply chain, energy transition. On top of that, we are looking to be the connector for supply chain to be as far as possible beyond a catch-up point. We'll be looking at connecting people, seafarers via crew change, seabags, connecting data through digital SG, SG Tradex, and connecting systems through digital oceans. Now, these connections and connectors are our strength, and we must continue to build on it beyond the traditional domain of maritime industry. We believe that Maritime Singapore will be even stronger if we connect the strengths of Singapore's various hubs from the financial, innovation, and trading sector horizontally and with our partners around the world. So thank you and look forward to the Q&A session. Great, thank you very much, Lehun. Um, so hold the questions. Uh, there's, there's one or two questions that's being popped up right now, but I will hold it there first. Uh, next, going to have uh, Chong Ming, please, to give his, his, his perspective on this. Please, Chong Ming. Well, thank you, Dr. Vaisal, and thank you to IPS for inviting Lehun and myself. Before I call up uh, the slides, I just want to recap a couple of things that uh, Lehun said. And then in general, uh, what she has highlighted is that from several hundred years ago, I won't start from that far back, uh, but ports have changed and continue to change. Connectivity is changing quite rapidly uh, as you take into account all the different facets of supply chain activities. Uh, one thing to highlight also, societal demands are changing. And as a result, the uh, maritime ecosystem players uh, are requiring different solutions. So that's the next change to watch out for, not just the physical or digital connectivity, but how we do things in future. And as a result, MPA, PSA also has to change and enable change. And Leon has described various initiatives uh, 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 backing that change. Now, um, as Lehun said, we've played a role in global trade for the longest time. Today, 80% of goods are traded by sea, 60% value because uh, air cargo is of higher value per cube or per ton. Uh, but it serves a very important role of connecting manufacturing and connecting markets between production and consumption. In a container, 70% of the time, the goods that are in there cannot be directly consumed. It's actually a flow between factories. So when Singapore plays that role, it's not just to help to bring goods to final consumption, but actually connecting the whole factory of the world. Uh, let me call up my slides. So this is where we started, not several hundred years ago, but as Lehun said, in containers, 1972. Very soon, we will be celebrating our 50th year since the first container handling episode on MV Nihon, uh, June 23rd. It's a, it's a fantastic history, a proud history, and Singapore has held on to the laurels of being the best port in Southeast Asia for more than 30 years in that history. Uh, the next slide, please. Now, in part, it is our strategic location, the Maritime Silk Road. Uh, but there are many others who are actually 
slightly east and slightly west of us who are also on the same route. So let's not, while we are in a very good and strategic location, we are not the only one uh, who have that location, but we have worked the hardest perhaps to make the best use of that location. And it's something we should not take for granted. We need to always respond to changes. In the past, as trade changed and grew exponentially, ships changed. And ships grew in size very, very quickly. The cranes have to give way to bigger cranes and berths have to give way to larger berths. And we have always responded to shipping lines change in the ships, to economic changes in trade. And when China came into the post-WTO sanctioned world, uh, they became a very large factory of the world. And with them being on the eastern side and the demand mainly western side, we saw following growth in our own shores as well. Then the next wave was technology change, and I believe subsequently sustainability change. So in order for us to make full use of a strategic location, we need to recognize the change, stay ahead of the change, and prepare a maritime ecosystem that is able to provide uh, the necessary solutions. And again, I wanted to congratulate PA and all the other players in the maritime ecosystem for again being the leading IMC or International Maritime Center uh, of the world for another time. Now on this slide, you see red dots. Now, of course, we have a red dot that we are very proud of, but there are also quite a number of other little red dots. And that actually is the portfolio of PSA ports around the world. And you see regional trade in the beige circles. You see east-west trade and north-south trade. These are terms that are used by industry to describe the different trade routes. By and large, the black lines or the east-west trade are the thickest and the chunkiest. We sit on that. We have a number of ports, as you can see, that follow the black lines right across. And in some of the places, we serve the red lines, the north-south trade, and the regional trade. So we play a role of transshipment, as well as delivering to end markets, first mile and last mile. Very important because um, supply chain in its end-to-end -end does not start and end in Singapore. It usually starts somewhere else and ends up in a different part of the world. So as Singapore, we have to go beyond our visibility across our shores to see as far as possible where supply chain begins and ends. And as connectivity changes, even though physically we don't directly connect to the initiation of trade or the destination of trade, because of technology and digitalization, that is highly possible. And that will be the new area of competition. Next slide, please. Uh, this was PM Lee's uh, statement when uh, he was just about to, to grace the groundbreaking ceremony at Tuas Port in 2019. And he highlighted that the PSA port terminals will move to Tuas by 2027. Uh, actually, we are moving to Tuas gradually already as we speak. Uh, but he was mentioning the PSA port terminals in the city. So the city will be vacated by 2027 
Pasir Panjang by 2040, uh, allowing for the land to be rejuvenated. But what I wanted to highlight is that the city and Pasir Panjang terminals, if you want to pay us a visit, you'll find that we are surrounded by a hinterland of uh, commercial real estate and even residential activity. Uh, so not very industry friendly, if you like, or not very industry adjacent. But Tuas is a totally different story. And recently, PM also highlighted that Tuas port will be built differently to make full use of the adjacency with the industry in the Western part of Singapore. Next slide. So just to give you an update, uh, since the groundbreaking ceremony on the 3rd of October, 2019, notwithstanding is smack in the middle of COVID the last two years, uh, we've actually completed the first two births on schedule and we're operating from there now. By the end of this year, we will be operating from six births and you will see that all this equipment, these are the largest cranes actually in our entire neighborhood, including in the PSA group, uh, where we can handle mega ships with uh, all types of automation that our system can actually facilitate today, be one of the most automated ports in the world. But one key part, which is highlighted by Faisal and Lehun before, is preparing our people. And um, it is a new process, a new operation. And it's not just the education, but also the, the, um, the fact that our people have to embrace that this is indeed part of the future. And to look not just at the port as an internal ecosystem, but the port as a facilitator to the industry. And that is by far the biggest change. And we see so many more possibilities when we adopt that mindset. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. Right, then talking about how connectivity is changing. Uh, in fact, the COVID-19 tested supply chain uh, very severely. And I'm afraid to say that we didn't stand up to the test. If any of you did not receive your Christmas uh, gifts or your Chinese New Year gifts to come, uh, it's probably sitting somewhere waiting to arrive. But what it highlighted is that the whole supply chain, while uh, in the past have had the capacity, the processes and the people to make things happen, the connections uh, were not that fluid and often taken for granted. In fact, there were glitches before, reliability was never 100%. Um, it was system reliability is always something like about 70%. Uh, but we tolerate, we use patch jobs and make things work. And today when reliability is half of that or maybe 20, 30%, it gets very frustrating. Now, in the past, we have to live with those issues and just accept it. But today with the possibility to work across boundaries and use digital solutions, we do not have to accept this as the norm. So post COVID, we have to try and make this different in the name of resilience, and subsequently, with that capability, uh, uh, derive sustainable solutions. But first, we have to ask ourselves, what is being disrupted? The next slide. So the physical flows, obviously, you're not receiving your goods. And the people in the chain 
uh, gripe about the lack of visibility, you know, vessels changing without knowing, uh, without the people in the chain knowing, uh, and then of course drivers as well. So it's the the people who have the responsibility, the activity of uh, being part of the movement of goods, um, as well as many variables that are not shared across the system. But what is highlighted by the people in industry, and this was done uh, during the Alliance for Action for Supply Chain, working with uh, beneficial cargo owners, uh, with goods producers, good convey goods conveyors, and the people in the supply chain, uh, there's a realization that financial flows and regulatory flows are equally important. And if you go down to the bottom right of this page, it says something quite interesting. Actually, dealing with customs is relatively easy. We are all nice people, even customs. <laughs> it's just that things don't work and there is a hassle of getting the documentations on, done on time, multiple forms. Why is uh, maritime much less digital in its documentation than other industries? I mean, banking at the top, Actually, maritime is not far from the bottom. Financial flows. And without a good um, convergence uh, between the different flows, sometimes it gives rise not just to stoppages in flow, but even to abuse. So you see the second in the middle, second point in the middle, fraud risk is a real challenge. We've seen some of that in Singapore. So in order to work on this, uh, we have to rethink connectivity. Not just that the box must arrive, but everything else must also take place in a streamlined, seamless, and aligned manner. If we can understand how to make flow happen better, it is not that we don't have enough containers or ships now. It's just that there are stuck 100 ships sitting off the coast of uh, US. That's not good supply chain make, right? So making that happen, will flow happen, will be the first step towards being efficient and reducing CO2 emissions and so on. If you do things efficiently, you always make better use of your resource. So whatever is the motivation for new connectivity, we must change. So I'll just quickly uh, walk through a few changes. The next slide is that as PSA, we realized that uh, having been in the ports world for about 40 years, we do not see the end-to-end -end of cargo movement. About six to seven years ago, we evaluated that and then proceeded to invest further in the inland hubs uh, and flows that take us further into the first mile or the last mile. So if you look at this chart, the red dots are deep sea coastal terminals, our traditional business. And then you see the black ones, rail terminals, the yellow ones, inland container depots, container freight stations, warehouse, blue marine services, and a very interesting green one called Global PortNet. And there are quite a number of other points here, which is our digital software as a service business that is not even on this map. So it took us several years, but you see now that we're in 26 countries, 55 locations, doubling our previous um, positions of line of sight, if you like. Quite important. So first thesis is go beyond ports to be more involved in the end-to-end -end portfolio of supply chain activities. But being involved, and if all these locations were run in the old way, uh, would not create new connectivity excellence. So the next slide. 
We try to consolidate our digital capability. We do have quite a good digital team, both in PSA and then subsequently uh, through an acquisition in 2018 in Crimson Logic, started to consolidate our capability on the digital side, build on our strengths in Portnet, which we started uh, uh, in the, the 1980s, to extend our support to other uh, software needs or other digital needs in the ecosystem to move the box uh, faster and for the players to interact more effectively, uh, efficiency, visibility, and supporting data exchange. This is still focusing on the container movement itself on this slide. The next arena, next slide, please, is on cargo because um, moving the container is one layer of uh, activity. Supporting the needs of the cargo inside is another world altogether. Uh, it's very different if it were food compared to say, uh, waste paper. I mean, waste paper is, is, is quite simple, quite generic. The paperwork is simpler. But when it comes to food, there are more agencies involved. There are more papers to be submitted. We're more careful. And there's also likely refrigeration and uh, uh, thermal control. So we decided to build a system that will support the cargo inside the container and take into account the regulatory and the physical requirements as well. And today, for instance, we even do uh, shipment financing just to highlight one activity that is quite far from the realm of moving the container on and offshore. Next slide, please. And then just now Lehun mentioned it, this is highly critical. It is not about PSA, having that portfolio that we are able to connect to uh, give new an advantage built around Singapore and network around the world. But for Singapore to also be a proponent of, uh, say, digital and exchange enablement. Because um, PSA needs to connect to many people, Lehun needs, MPA needs to connect to many people. It's a many-to-many -many relationship. And if everybody tried to... Uh, build these connections ourselves, we'll have a crazy world. And so in the Alliance for Action, we said, why don't we build a common highway so that all those who have many to many connection needs come into the highway. It's a bit like our physical highway, all kinds of vehicles use it. It could be a truck, could be an ambulance, could be a sedan, could be a bus. Um, you, you, you interact to serve your needs, but the highway can have the rules that ensure people will be safe Governance is good and it's uh, uh, built as an infrastructure by government suitable for all. But you see on here many private sector names and herein lies the different approach towards building this highway. Uh, it is not a system that is designed in a lab, completed and then rolled out with regulatory carrots and sticks. It is one that is co-developed between public and private sector with the infrastructure owned by public, the government, and the market development, the usage, the scaling, and then the fine tuning, uh, actually helmed in many cases by the private sector, some of whose names are on this list. Uh, next slide, I think it's my final one, or my final two. Of course, when you build it uh, connectivity in this way, 
uh, you need aligned conversations, you need um, uh, partners to come together, agree, uh, and to run some distance in order that this multi-point type systems, when built, will serve the purpose and the requirements of many. So we've been one of the actors, and Lehun talked about the global maritime decarbonization is another actor. So all of us are trying to actually mobilize, I call it mobilize. We have to make sure that we don't have more mobilizations than there are actions, <laughs> but mobilizations are key. And we have to identify the right partners. Next slide. Next slide, please. The right partners to work on the right problems. So the supply chain issues, resilience issues, sustainability issues, very happy to say that uh, we're getting a lot of support here and uh, look forward to your questions. And perhaps there are also areas that you can work together with MPA or PSA. And by the way, just a point of uh, definition, MPA as the uh, authority actually has a very strong role in creating the port ecosystem and also creating the civil base of Tuas Port. So whenever Lehun says we, it's a partnership we. Uh, the Tuas civil structures are then laid upon that, the equipment, the operating system, and then the business environment, I believe there's a lot of co-creation. So that's why it's kind of seamless and the we's together. Uh, I just want to highlight that you can't put, indeed, previously PSA was MPA and the current PSA together. I'm happier there is a part <laughs> because I think it gives us the ability to look at things differently, uh, but again, uh, also in an aligned manner. Thank you. Thank you, Chong Ming, for that very comprehensive and uh, thought-provoking uh, points up there. And thank you, Lehun, as well. Uh, yeah, I, I would really agree on the, you know, pulling in on this in the same direction, the collaboration between the regulator and the main port and, and the port operator in terms of the synergies and, 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 and the critical thinking, you know, creative thinking going, going forward. Okay, let us take some questions now. I think I, I, I see some on the board right now. There's one that's on um, the location of transport hubs. Okay? I, I don't know how to push it because it's got a historical social angle to it. You know, um, For land and sea and air connectivity synergies, right? would it make more sense for the maritime and air hubs to be more closely located right? instead of being separated or far apart on the western and eastern ends of Singapore? Okay. So I, I, that's the question that uh, we have right now. Okay, um, would uh, who uh, who would like to go first? Lehun, Chongming, in terms of the the history, maybe why it's like that. You know, uh, Lehun. Yeah. Uh, oh, Lehun. Anyone? Uh, yeah, maybe I'll just give a, a quick context. I think, oh, of course, um, when the Tuas Port was being built, um, there were consideration whether it should be east or west. Um, nearer to the airport, but I mean, having an airport, there are uh, certain constraints, right, in terms of the use of the land around it. Um, and anyway, 
um, the thinking then is that Singapore is actually quite small. We are very connected by roads. So um, whether it is in the east or west, it doesn't take too long to go from one end to another. But the more fundamental point to the question is actually on intermodal. And that is a very uh, good point because in a way, there is a lot of synergies to tap on our air connectivity and our sea connectivity or even land, you know, with, uh, with uh, our, our neighbour, Malaysia. How do we create that ecosystem such that we can reap the benefit of it? I mean, for example, even Batam Bintang, you know, who is actually just 45 hours by ferry from, from Singapore, how do we rip that? Um, can we look at this region as a sort of a, a base where there is manufacturing, there's connectivity, uh, there's services, companies around, there's, um, and, and with the connectivity, we can actually serve the region and serve the world. So I think that is a bigger ambition and it's something definitely that a uh, whole of government and I'm sure PSH Homing will talk about it because I've heard him speak so much about intermodal connectivity before about how this will bring uh, Singapore to the next lap. Yeah. Thanks, Leo. Uh, thanks, Leo. Uh, Chongming, please. Yeah, intermodal connectivity is important uh, as to the physical siting of uh, an airport vis-a-vis -a, -vis a seaport uh, for our city-state it's really down to what are the needs and the sensible choices. An air hub serves people as much as it serves cargo. And in fact, I would say people more than cargo because the number of individual commuter trips to the airport in small sedans and in large buses outnumber the number of cargo-related movements. The Air cargo traditionally also favors a number of higher value air industries uh, and can be cited in a way that is synergistic to an air hub. Now C, however, has a lot more volumetric movement, heavy, a lot of trucking. And you find that if you go down into Tuas, I uh, know uh, Bunkai JTC may be on the call as well, uh, you find that the roads have to be designed to, to handle the impact of all these multi-tunners. Uh, and the factories that are sited there also generate a lot more volume. So you would have a lot more uh, physical movement of goods. And you certainly don't want to confuse that. And you want people who go to the airport to have to fight its way, their way through many trucks, like in some cities and in our neighborhood, uh, you, you, you can actually see some of them, right? Now, just Jurong Island alone generates about half a million TUs of cargo, chemicals, that need to be moved to port and out. Imagine if the port were in Changi and this have to go to Changi, uh, that half a million TUs have to find its way there and out. So the intermodal, while it's important, when we are able to tap on air services for such movements means that they're high value. High value tend to be not high volume. So the number of TEUs that we need for the intermodality is less than the, far less than the number, say for uh, heavy industrial goods, which the port should develop in a synergistic manner together with the Tuas Industrial Hinterland, Jurong Island Plus Plus, Jurong Innovation District, and so on. In order that we make that circularity of flow as tight as possible, 
Now, if let's say the volume between uh, Tuas and Changi goes up in 20 years' time, to the extent that we need more concerted effort, we can always budge. Today, Tuas receives budgets, uh, sorry, uh, Pasir Panjang receives budgets from Jurong Island. So not all the chemicals come by road. That same activity can take place if indeed there is high volume, we can take it off the roads. In terms of CO2, budging is also a lot friendlier. Right? So we, got, we don't, let's not always think of having to try and organize everything within our land base. Let's think more widely. Thanks. Okay, great. Thank you, Chong Ming. So essentially to think of what's coming ahead, future challenges, you know, and how to make better use of that uh, intermodal kind of connectivity. Okay, there's a next question here regarding slightly shift more towards competition. There are two questions here actually, right? So um, essentially it's about the threat challenges to Singapore status as a transshipment hub, right? The, the, the growing competition and potentially, for example, um, uh, the development like the Kra Canal, right? That is coming up and, 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 and you know, challenges or then maybe concerns, you know, that we have in terms of how will it erode our locational advantage, right? And perhaps we can also throw in the, the, the uh, potential issues going forward, like climate change, the, the, uh, the opening up of the Northwest kind of Arctic, you know, uh, sea, sea passage, you know, but what's being done for us to be more proactive in terms of how do we view ahead how did it was impact on our locational advantage in terms of the maritime routes? Um, could I invite Lehun first? I mean, uh, and then Chongming, please. Lehun, please. Sure. Um, definitely, I think um, people will be looking at alternative routes. And uh, I think what the audience mentioned in terms of Kra Canal and um, the North uh, Northern uh, Sea Passage. Having said that, um, we have to look at what is our value. So in Singapore, we are in one of the major shipping routes of the world. One third of global goods uh, and containers as well pass through this part of the world. Why? Because we are important um, sort of highway la, you know, between the East and the West. Now then the question is what differentiates ourselves from other ports and how do we ensure that we continue to maintain that competitiveness and maintain our attractiveness? I think earlier on when we laid out the plans, um, these are not trivial, no, trivial plans that came out over one day or two days. It's a lot of uh, consultation, discussions, partnerships uh, with our industry players. And this is something which in Singapore, because of our strong international maritime center, we have a very strong ecosystem of relevant companies who are here, whether it's ship agents, ship managers, uh, bunkering companies, petrochem companies, uh, buried marine technology companies, startups, where we often come together and we look at what makes Singapore slightly different from the rest of the port and how do we ensure the stickiness? And we matter because we are a very important player in the global supply chain. Can you imagine during this time in the pandemic, if we were to close our port, um, it would have caused a major disruption to the global supply chain, which is why as a reputation, we have never and we will not close our port, whatever it takes and whatever is the challenges that the industry face. In fact, we'll be one of the first to talk to the industry to see how can we work together to resolve, of course, within um, our constraints. Um, and then I think it's this forthcoming um, and strong network attitude that allows us to 
come up with more forward-looking uh, plans that will help the industry uh, continue to want to call an offer. Now, I mean, um, later, I think that's the, we have the whole uh, very ambitious plan about the Tuas Sport, which we can go up to 65 million TU. It will be one of the biggest, uh, in fact, I would say the largest one-stop location for container shipping. As a bunkering center, we are actively looking at how do we position ourselves for the future of ship. Uh, and that requires standards. Uh, it requires us to work with IMO, um, port, other port authorities to come up with the relevant standards. And we did it for LNG. So for LNG bunkering, um, Singapore initiated a network of, uh, of, uh, of uh, countries and port authorities, and we put the standards in place and push it forward in IMO. And this is what we will do for the future of shipping. So the ecosystem must continue to be strong. The trust, with our industry players must continue to remain there. And as MPA or even PSA or any other government authorities, we must not stay on our laurels and always think, how do we position ourselves different and put in place plans that will help continue to help uh, excite the industry and more importantly, solve global solution. Uh, in the next five to 10 years, there are so much global solution we need to work here. Digital supply, digitalized supply chain, like what Choming mentioned, to make it more efficient so that we are more resilient. Um, future of shipping, how do we ensure that it dovetails with energy transition around the world? Um, these are big things uh, that cannot be done alone. So it has to be an ecosystem. And the industry and other um, uh, IMO, for example, can count on Singapore to be that player, to continue to do our part for the world. So I think that differentiates us and we'll continue to do our best because it is, we are talking about a global issue here. We are not talking about a localized issue. So we need to collaborate. We need to cooperate and always stay ahead of the curve. Okay, great. Thank you, Lehun. Um, Chongming, please. Uh, Lehun has covered many of the important points um, about how to always focus on future requirements and the needs of an ecosystem. Uh, so I'll just supplement with some perspectives from the physicality of trade. Um, today, in order to achieve the competitiveness and the network requirements of container shipping, uh, you need to be able to handle quite large customer groups and very large ships. Uh, in fact, that is probably the most energy efficient as well to ship things on a 20-24,000 TEU floater. For the last seven to eight years, the world has built its fleet towards upsizing to the present-day fleet that we have where more than 30% of our ships around the world are mega. And that's not the size of ships that is going to be easy. So if somebody wants to build a CRA, it's going to be big. <laughs> and the Northern Sea Passage has to accommodate bigger ships as well. Um, building a port doesn't take, it's not an overnight activity. It takes decades, actually, to build that excellence and to gain the confidence of shipping lines as well as cargo players. And so to Lehun's point, we keep working on our strengths, but at the same time, we track and we participate in the changes that may occur. Uh, so for instance, when the uh, maritime, or rather the silk belt and road, right? There's a belt that goes, uh, the rail that goes to, uh, from China to Europe. Uh, when that became more prominent uh, as PSA, we also participated in that. And the Singapore government have also been involved 
in the inland land sea trade corridor that goes from Qingzhou to Chongqing and in fact takes you all the way to Europe. So I think we should participate. We should be pro-trade and see all the different possibilities, uh, but at the same time, continue to raise the value add of Singapore. The other thing we have done, and something that perhaps many may not appreciate, is that when the shipping lines uh, became bigger and formed alliances, they looked for uh, quite large facilities to accommodate their, all their needs because it's more uh, operationally efficient in that way. We saw an opportunity for a win-win by inviting key shipping lines to be joint venture partners within the Singapore uh, sub-concessional level of terminal at the birth level. Uh, these are multiple births, so for them it's very meaningful and allows them to further make best use of Singapore's facility preparedness as well as all the other aspects of ecosystem, including handling, managing their ships, uh, ship supply, ship financing, and so on. So it's a total solution. Finally, one point about the Northern Passage. Uh, the, the container shipping business is like a bus business that have many stops and many customer types. It's not an express point-to-point -point business, like an express bus. So the, 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 the economic viability as such is dependent on having picks up, pickups and drops of containers, making full use of the available capacity of a ship. On the Northern Passage, the economic activity is still relatively low. And so it's really point to point and as such is better used to serve commodity business that doesn't mind taking a shortcut point to point. So as we keep working on the multiplicity of cargo requirements, manufactured goods, hub and spoke requirements are still very required and that's not available at, at the Northern Sea at all, too cold for hub and spoke. Right? Okay, thank you. Okay. Thank you, Chongming. Uh, we have a few questions regarding, it's, it's, it's related to the BRI, Belt and Road that, that China is developing. Yeah. So um, do we see it as a challenge? Do we see it as, as an opportunity? You know? And maybe if I could push it a bit further, um, in terms of the, uh, even the, the, the feeder service, uh, Chongming mentioned the, uh, this hub and spoke kind of model, right? Um, it's an ecosystem of feeder and transshipment services all connected, right? How do we maintain that, that, uh, that competitiveness going forward in, in this sort of environment with challenges and ever-changing uh, feeder connectivity in the region and, and wider? Um, could I invite Lehun, please? I think this question will be best answered by Chong Ming. <laughs> I'll give Chong Ming the floor. <laughs> okay. I'll talk to you, John Wayne, please. So uh, Hub and Spoke tends to give the impression that the different ports play distinctively different roles and they don't overlap. Actually, they all share the same importance when it comes to planning the movement of a cargo from the start to the finish. Right? So one is not at a lower level of importance 
than the other. We have moved from thinking hub and spoke in our operations to thinking network rather than nodes. And when you think of that, a transshipment center is but a busier uh, node of the network. And a spoke is also a node that tends to play a different role and a different value-added purpose. Now, people for the longest time have tried to contest for volumetric championship. So if Singapore can do so many million, then I also must do so many million, but fail to recognize that within their smaller uh, quantitative number in many of these spokes, the value of the logistic activity uh, is actually very high and very important. And for the whole supply chain to be successful as a whole, it requires all the nodes of the network to play their role. And COVID highlights that really well. Uh, so I, I think we have to try and think of being a regional player supported by a global, uh, a regional center in this network concept. And when you think of network, then just having a number of physical points is no longer the end of the game. In fact, having the capability to plan, to prioritize, and to operationalize within this network end-to-end, -to -end, together with the conveying partner, meaning the shipping line, and oftentimes the intermodal partner, could be a barge, could be a, a truck, uh, is actually key to this network thinking. 10, 20 years ago, we can't, use, we can't uh, uh, spend too much time on this type of thinking. It's actually ethereal, although it sounds great. But today with the digital platform and connectivity, if we were to set up the right highway with a common data environment that allows us to orchestrate the different parts of the chain, either as single party or multiple parties, uh, we can do a whole lot better. Now, what I'm describing is still somewhat ambitious. It is not reflective of the present day for every container, but for a number of containers where they have high priority goods, we are already able to do that, to achieve that network effect. Uh, think I saw in a newspaper today, the lanterns in Chinatown. And many of you may not be aware, but the lanterns in Chinatown, the, the shipment of it from Qigong in China through Chongqing and down the railroad from Chongqing to Qingzhou and then from Qingzhou to Singapore and from Singapore port to uh, Chinatown itself were handled on a seamless prioritized basis by PSA Cargo Solutions end-to-end -end, because we're involved at many of the touch points and together with our shipping line partner, had top store, top store and first discharge. Um, and, and, and that was the way that uh, we supported the action. And thankfully, they all arrived on time. Great. Wonderful. Um, if I could also just... Yes. Uh, if I could just add on to what Chung Ming said, I think, you know, um, we have always been talking about competition... Um, as uh, the other end of collaboration, inclusive, exclusive. These are all polarity, right, that we face in life. But actually, like what Chomi mentioned, I was just thinking through that when you have technology, 
actually allows you to make breakthrough. So it not only resolves efficiency, it actually brings the entire global um, economy or efficiency to a different level. I mean, in the past, when we use Nokia phone, it's just called, I mean, from, from a fax, uh, from a pager to a handphone, you know, and, and we thought it's only so much you can achieve. But when you have smartphones, then it brings it to a different level. So actually, there are opportunities for all to reap. And when there's technology, and when we talk about, um, like what uh, Chongyi mentioned, when you talk about network effect, right, it's about interoperability, it's about having APIs, building the roads together, then actually the whole world benefit by bringing ourselves to a different level. So you are no longer competing against you versus me, but you and I can actually each get a bigger pie of a bigger um, sort of, uh, uh, can, can, can get a bigger piece of a bigger pie. So I think if we see it from that perspective, BRI is a collaborator, there's opportunity there. ASEAN is a collaborator, there's an opportunity there. Um, digital connectivity, there's even more opportunity there. So I think if we see in this slide, uh, we probably will bring ourselves towards more optimism and positivity, uh, get ourselves out of too extreme polarity and try to achieve something better at a global level. Wonderful, great. It's a shift of perspective, you know. Things are ever evolving and to be more inclusive as, as part of the global community in terms of more like partners, collaborators and just simply com competitors, right? Um, a question which I'm going to link in terms of the impact of the pandemic now and plans that, uh, you know, the Singapore Maritime Hub has. How, how, how was it impacted, you know, in terms of be, being a node of the global maritime trade, you know? how we make use of the opportunity you know, in terms of the disruptions but how to build in their resilience during uh, a time uh, of, 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 of the pandemic you know and have we come out from it stronger you know, in terms of our, our resilience, our, our robustness of uh, disruptions you know I mean I can I can you know recall the the, the uh, Chomming mentioned lanterns you know I can recall the eggs and toilet paper type of run you know. <laughs> Um, which panicked us, uh, average your day-to-day -day shopper. No, now Chowming and Lehun. No, uh, are we expecting more of that? You know, uh, going ahead. In, I, I don't know. Or will it be like more, uh, more, more seamless in terms of the supply chain sort of visibility and and delivery? Please. Um, okay, I'll go first on this. Uh, I must I must confess uh, that um, in coming to late 2019, when the pandemic, uh, COVID-19 uh, first hit, we were all very worried because uh, in a way, actually, we were not that worried initially. We thought, ah, it's just three months, six months, and we'll just get over it. And then it became one year. And after one year, it still continued on. And even today, we don't see the end of it. But having said that, uh, what um, we have really done is to build on the reputation that we have to tell our partners that, um, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, we are here committed to keep that global supply chain going. And I'm, I'm sure Chomi can tell you how hard they work to make ourselves a catch-up pot. Um, and on top of that, we are not only working on resolving existing problems, whether it's crew change, um, we actually go on at the same time concurrently to help the industry transform ourselves, whether it's on decarbonization or digitalization. So I think in times of crisis, I think, at least from both NP and PSA perspective, we have come up to show that it is not just addressing immediate issue, which we take it very seriously to the extent as much as possible we'll do it. And at the same time, we also think medium and long term because we need to come up stronger. And I'm, that's what the whole alliance is for. Is how do we emerge stronger about it? So I think from, from, from there, I, I would say that, and if you look at our results and performances, uh, so we were, we were very 
glad, you know, that actually our partners see us as who we are, uh, continue to trust uh, in terms of our credibility and reliability of the business. Our port performance have been good. Um, 2021, we hit a max, uh, a record high of uh, container throughput. Our bunkering uh, crossed 50 million tons for the second time. The first time, I think, is 2017. And because we also went on to provide LNG ship-to-ship bunkering. So all these transition transformation are taking place in times of difficult times. And I actually am very optimistic, a bit very positive about the direction we are heading as a maritime hub, as a global supply chain integrator. Uh, I will leave Tom Ming to tell you all the hard work he's, he's doing behind the scene um, to ensure the tiger the, the tiger comes, the toilet paper and all this. Uh, I mean, but as a whole of government, I would say that we are wiser, we are more savvy in terms of what we need. So you can stockpile, but at the same time, it's also having more efficient supply chain visibility, like what you mentioned, Faisal, of where the goods are and being able to activate the nodes so that they can come and arrive at the same time. Now, the more important part is the, the, the goods, e-commerce, for example, right? Uh, uh, Chinese New Year, right? Will I get my packages in time? You know, I mean, the, 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 you actually mentioned, uh, mentioned the, the, the lanterns, Chongming. I have friends who are freaking out in terms of the supply chain. You know, how can you deliver to their uh, to their wholesalers and retailers? So, could you assure us? You know, how, what's the? <laughs> are, we, are we like into just in time? Are we, are we building? You know, you know that kind of capabilities? Yeah, please. Well, uh, reality, Doctor Faisal, is things are not normal yet. So, if you are buying anything, anyone who's listening, buy early, be patient. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, uh, unless you are uh, booked, um, say, uh, the goods to travel by air, which is a little bit more uh, reassured, by sea, depending on where you're coming from, is from the US or from some places where the supply chain is indeed uh, uh, severely locked, then you, you, you will need to be patient. I myself included, you know. Uh, but there is no panic because we, we allow for this. The inventory levels to sales ratios are still not very healthy. So indeed, the supply chain is not well stocked, if you like, at different points. Uh, and as a result, we expect that the effects of this will continue for some time. Uh, but when people can get back to work and work more normally in terms of the operations and hours uh, and uh, things are flowing better, I think different parts of the world will start to recover. And then when enough parts of the world have recovered in terms of their operating stats, we get to tipping point flow and recover. I would say maybe it's middle or second half of the year. Now, um, yes, we are still concerned, but we are no longer in panic mode. Now, panic mode is like last April when we first confronted circuit breaker and everybody went for their toilet rolls. And I remember my wife went to the uh, Gimo market that's near where we live and she was trying to buy fish, and James, our fishmonger, was saying, oh, all the fish is uh, stuck. Where is it stuck? In PSA. PSA has got a lockdown. <laughs> because <laughs> you know, it's just a funny thing that people are grasping at straws as what is really going on. But indeed, uh, concerns on uh, essential goods have continued, where um, between government, ourselves, we all responded by making sure facilities are there, even digital monitoring systems better than we have before. So rye stockpiles and things like that. So we're in a much better place to make sure essential goods are okay. So no need to panic. But certainly beyond panicking, 
or rather beyond the season of panic. You say, when you recover, you don't want to go back there again should this happen. What do you do differently? You start to pay attention to those supply chains that are challenging, that require temperature management, so on and so forth. And the industry players are also reaching out to us to see how they can use Singapore for its more strategic location, uh, having more conversations with ph pharmaceutical companies. We believe we can play a stronger role in food. And manufacturers, when we, uh, before COVID, talk to them about, wow, this is our future plan for TWAS and we can have physical, digital and all that. Some of them at that time may respond and say, I don't really have a problem. Today, they may say, I don't really have a solution. <laughs> so let's get down to, you know, what do you really want to do? And we talk and we believe that that can be a distinctive advantage if learn in a stepwise but very fast manner. Right? And we establish the digital and physical strengths that we can use uh, to, to back it up. Great. Thank you, Chongming. Um, we've talked about technology, which we can go into again later, but um, we've, not, we've talked about enough in terms of the people. You know, the maritime employs 170,000 at least you know, people, key employer here in Singapore. With all these changes, evolutions of technology, right? Um, to us, it's, port is a game changer, right? Huge, big, able to take the container vessels, but employing lesser people, I heard, in terms of the, you know, the, the changing job scopes that we had to factor in. You know. Could you give a take on that in terms of the rescaling, upscaling, you know, the, the changing job scopes and, and, and how it's being managed even during the, the pandemic with all the challenges that you've had in terms of the um, infection rates? Um, uh, could Chongming or Lehun we should go first and, and give a uh, give a perspective on this, please. I always follow Lehun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lehun. Ladies, please. Ladies. Okay, ladies, ladies go first. first. Yeah, ladies um, first. Yeah. No, actually, in fact, Faisal, it's actually the opposite, you know, because oh, okay. um, there are there are so much opportunities in the maritime sector. Actually, we are we want more to come into. Really? So okay. During, during this period, um, right. in fact, in fact, uh, when uh, some sectors are laying off um, the, the employees, we actually actively worked with the shipping companies to go out and PSA, of course, to go out and reach out uh, for more people to come into our sector. Um, and uh, I think somehow the, the people don't have a full appreciation of what a uh, maritime sector is about yes. because it's not just um, there's port, um, there is of course seafaring, uh, but there's a lot of onshore work that's available, whether it's banking, finance, legal, we have a whole array of companies here, um, commercial, uh, finance, you know, uh, digitalization. And I think that um, if we, so we need to do better and marketing ourselves as a, as a sector. And secondly, um, it is, interesting sector because in a way it is a sector which is very global so it brings you into the global community very fast in fact any companies that you go to is very multinational multicultural you you wouldn't find yourself just you know among the minority um, or you are the only one race there um, and secondly um, the industry is undergoing so much transformation whether it's green um, whether it is digitalization so we need a lot more new talent to come in uh, in fact, uh, I, 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 when I first came to the sector, I must say that the sector was a little bit backwards. You know, I would go up a ship and they were still using fax machines and all this. I was like, no, you are still checking documentations, using hard copies. Uh, but 
the past one or two years, I mean, there has been massive shift, right? Uh, even the industry players themselves say, we need to change this because if not during this our period, how do you still use hard copy and do, you know, if not, we can't do contactless bunkering, we can't do digital, so we are going into digital um, e-bunkering node, we are going to EBL, um, and all these require new flash flood, new people with the expertise in technology, in data. Um, as, a, as a global hub port, uh, in fact, there's so much data we need to mine. And I've got a lot of data in, in, in MPA. So how do we mine the data to actively use data analytics to shift trade flow and also to capture, do some projection and capture what it works and adjust our policies and measures according to it. So there's a lot of scope. Uh, if, if I could, I would appeal anyone, you know, excited to, in the industry, it's going global, going green, going digital, just join us uh, and give the sector a chance. And you will find that uh, you are not just in the sector which is transforming, you are in a very meaningful sector because it controls what comes to our table and what comes to our house. You want it to go faster, join us and make things uh, better. I'm definitely interested. Would, would you take a mature, uh, you know, a mid-career switch, you know, I mean, how, how about that? You know, I'll, I'll do some, uh, some maritime <laughs> diploma part-time or something. If it's you not considered po- coaching, I'll, uh, if it's not considered poaching, I'll come to you after this. Okay, please, please. please. <laughs> I'm all up for it. <laughs> Just don't tell IPS, okay? <laughs> okay, thank you, Lehun. Chongming, uh, would you like to give some, some, some perspective, please? Yeah, I'll give my perspective from the point of view of the thousands of people who are um, affected, energized, and have to be reskilled by the changes that we are going through. So what Lehun has described is the general change in terms of the job scene and the type of work. Uh, We face very much the same, I think she's describing for the whole industry. But then when you get to the thousands of people who show up at work, uh, what changes would they anticipate? Indeed, there will be less manual, more integration and more system-based. Uh, It may be something that some of our workers through years of training are not entirely used to. They go from process management to exception management. To be able to handle exception, you have to know more parts of the system than just your part of the process. But that, that is what gives us hope for greater productivity because we integrate sequential processes into system. And if you know... What, how the system is supposed to work and one glitch happens, you don't just cure the process, you think from the system. Uh, it's at the process level, it's also at the engineering level and at the systems level as well that we need such mindsets. Uh, so we found that we've had to encourage people to grow in their jobs, uh, in their environment by multi-skilling, uh, by leading others through this change as well. And this has been ongoing since we started moving activities from city terminals, which are highly manual, to Pasir Panjang, which are semi-auto, and then subsequently to Tuas, which is not just automated, but automation with a, actually, the OT in Tuas is fundamentally quite different. The other thing I would say, uh, which is quite interesting, is that it is not only for greater efficiency, but for the purpose of greater sustainability. So to invite in our people that we do this, not just to get uh, less cost and more dollars per activity, but also to get a better uh, sustainable outcome. And training our people through COVID on this, this was uh, one of the things that I think got accelerated through COVID. 
because when people started to be concerned about valuing lives in the short term, it means COVID. In the long term, means our next generation. Uh, and so learning has taken a new form. The syllabus became different. The way we deliver also became different. Uh, during the COVID year, our digital episode, uh, you know, let's call it a, a learning engagement is, let's say we call it an episode of learning, went up about four times globally, about 70,000, I think, in two years ago. Uh, I don't have yet the data for last year. And taking advantage of that, in fact, you realize that you can uh, roll out learning uh, uh, more expansively, more spread out. But in fact, uh, when you want to start the new syllabus to the end of having a certain critical mass coverage, that process is much faster because you can get more people in the classroom and even allow for self-learning. Uh, so uh, aside from preparing people, what I'm highlighting is that leaders, as leaders, we must also prepare ourselves to lead, to communicate, and to um, bring people along in the right way. There are companies who start to talk about their future as though their future is core and the present is not necessary and start to alienate. Uh, as PSA, we've been quite careful to share that indeed, and this is not just for the sake of communication, but it is actually absolutely true that the physical port, while we need all the digital, the physical port must go on and there will need to be human activity to manage some high touch process or exception handling and it calls for a lot more preparation. Okay, great, great. <clears throat> Thank you, Chongming. Um, I'm going to link in an issue about um, going green, sustainability issues in, in, in the last one or two uh, questions here. Um, and um, Lehud mentioned the LNG, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, bunkering facilities and all that. Right? Going forward, uh, the Petrochem hub has been a, you know, men's day for the Singapore economy over decades, right? So we're going to shift to more cleaner fuels going forward. Uh, maybe, I, I'm not sure, maybe um, electric battery-powered, you know, uh, uh, container vessels, maybe. You know, but, uh, uh, but I've heard those are not powerful enough currently, yeah? So how would this impact our status as a hub for bunkering and, 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 and petrochemicals, for example? Um, can would Lehun be able to give some views on this, please. please. Yeah. So, so Faisal, this is indeed a, a serious question that uh, yeah. we are uh, uh, answering and uh, we are working with the industry players on. Um, in fact, uh, when the, how to meet the IMO target uh, for the shipping industry, we will need to shift uh, our fuel. We cannot be using uh, low sulfur fuel. So uh, LNG is seen as a transitional fuel. And the question is what's next, right? Uh, beyond 2030 to 2050. Uh, should it be ammonia, hydrogen, or uh, bio LNG, uh, biodiesel? So what um, our strategy is to, in this transition, be a multi-fuel uh, bunkering transition hub, uh, where we will be a, we will be working, or in fact we are already working with industry players to form value chain ecosystem. What I mean is that during in this value chain ecosystem, for example, in ammonia, we are in Castor Initiative, right? So in this Castor, we have MIIC who's building an ammonia ship. Uh, itself, and we are working on the standards to receive the ship and do bunkering standards. And we are not just not working alone because uh, with the ammonia, we need to work with Yara Ammonia uh, Energy Company to 
provide and make avail this ammonia. And when it comes here, what is the standard we can build? And this standard cannot be just Singapore standard, it has to be a global standard. So we have set up a future fuel network to work on the various standards, share the standards, and then we can eventually table this at IMO uh, to be used uh, on a global scale. So these are various steps. For LNG, it actually took us eight years uh, to come up wow. with LNG bunkering standards. Wow. So if you work backwards, uh, 2050, we need to come up with future ship, which is zero fuel, uh, zero carbon. Then it means I work backwards, you need 20 years to build the ship. So that's 2030, and you need eight years. Okay, I cut short, like maybe five or six years to come up with the uh, bunkering standard, which means it's today we have to start developing the standards. So which is why when we set up the Global Center for Maritime uh, Decarbonization, the whole aim is to form as many value chain ecosystems as possible, to go along and do trials, POCs, along different fuel lines. And this is not just from authorities, but also from the industry player, trust society, insurance, uh, finance, um, uh, shipliners, uh, shipyards, uh, port authorities, and we come together and we try to trial and test. We need the solution soon. So this is where we need to go towards. Um, and see, in the same way, um, our energy companies based in Singapore, this we find a regular interaction with EDB, who oversees the petrochem sector. We are also looking at how do we work with them to bring the necessary fuel in, because they are also thinking about transitioning, right? So it will not be same, the same petrochem that we'll see in 10 years' time, 20 years' time. So what is it that they can start converting that tank into? Again, we need to bring this ecosystem together, which is why in my speech I was talking, it really is a horizontal um, um, collaboration we need to work on because um, it is it's a major transition. It's a shipping 4.0, it's a petrochem, it's, a, it's an energy 4.0, and no one has the solution now. Uh, and it requires all of us to work together so that we can go to the next phase. It's just like container shipping, you know, it's a, it's a big change. And now we are going to the future of ship is another change. Brilliant. I'm excited. This is the mind of a proactive regulator, folks. You know, they're always thinking ahead and reverse engineering. Okay, the timeline, work backwards, right? That's a key thing. Okay, Chongming, your perspective, please. Um, uh... Lehun already gave us a very good coverage on the uh, maritime decarbonization efforts, especially in alternative fuels. Uh, fuel transition is key. Singapore has to lead and follow, uh, doing both at the same time, but be a partner. I would uh, come at it from another perspective, uh, and that is how do we become more responsible uh, for the supply chain processes and outcomes, regardless of the fuel you use? So on the one hand, it's greening the fuel. On the other hand, it's greening the supply chain choices itself. Uh, I'll take petrochemical as an example. Uh, Jurong Island, I said, produces about half a million TUs of uh, laden containers carrying the goods to uh, markets in our region and further. And they have to get to a port. In order for the boxes to get to a port, majority of those boxes uh, truck through Jurong Island Bridge to the mainland to be staged and then subsequently to move to a PSA terminal for export. And that's in Pasir Panjang or in uh, city uh, accordingly. Uh, we actually have a Jurong Island terminal uh, that is served by barges that if you can imagine a shuttle service bringing the boxes to Jurong Island terminal it barged to the uh, uh, PSA uh, main terminal and then connected to a, a overseas destination. And in return, the empties can be returned by barge also to Jurong Island terminal. So 
uh, and, the, and in fact, that if you plan it well, the duration could be shorter. And that route of substituting road with barge can, if we plan it well, reduce CO2 emissions on an end-to-end -end basis by 37%. So LNG is intermediate. You green the fuel, you save 20%. You change your process, you save 37%. Why don't we do both? And so as PSA, we are focused on both uh, the energy in transition, supporting the ecosystem in, uh, in the places and areas where we can for new energies of choice. Uh, but in fact, because we have information about how supply chain moves and the choices that are made now through our conversations with shippers, we're trying to always challenge ourselves and say, can we offer a different way rather than at the end, just charging a higher invoice? Um, I think we have to rewire production systems. We are where we are through evolution. And now we have to look at everything with, uh, with, with if you like, a, a non-status quo mindset and say, what can be better, right? I just gave you one example and there are quite a number on the list that we're working on. Okay, great. Thank you, Chongming. Um, we're on to the last few minutes and there's a question here about, I think it's a good summation of what um, we've discussed today. It's about the ecosystem. Yep. The connectivity in the ecosystem, if we've mentioned, uh, you know, uh, technology, you know, regulations, uh, environmental, you know. Um, so the part about financials, yeah. The financial yeah. connectivity in terms of funding these this changes, the infrastructure, um, the, the, the funding, the, the, um, the processes of work in the maritime sector, you know? um, how does that link, to, I mean, if you just give a perspective or a glimpse in terms of how finance plays a role in all this. Um, finance play a very important role in all this. Of course. <laughs> People money, no infrastructure. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> so I, I in, in the past, like, um, when the industry, I mean, container shipping is doing very well now. Um, in fact, uh, the, the, the bulk sector is, is doing reasonably well. We hope the tanker segment will also improve. Um, there, therefore, I think when it comes to the company's financial, uh, some of them or the bigger players uh, actually have some of the muscles and they are looking at what are some of the future investments they want to put into. Um, having said that, um, I think I will also link it to say carbon emissions and carbon sure. trading, yep. the setting up of market-based mechanisms, whether that will help further propel. And in Singapore, uh, we are looking at CIX, right? Building up a carbon trading hub. Uh, yes. All these will help to facilitate. Um, the one thing uh, though I would want to work on, uh, and that's what um, my, my team is looking at, is really how to uh, continue to make marriage finance in Singapore more attractive and make more available fund uh, for the shipping and maritime sector. Mm. Uh, like what you mentioned, it is a high infrastructure industry, whether it's the vessels or whether now even to go on land, you know, uh, to yes. look at the energy transition. And all this would require uh, companies, government, banks, you know, to be able to provide the loans or to give bonds uh, for such infrastructure to take place. Uh, we are still not as strong um, in this area as compared to other maritime centers, for example, um, and uh, it's an area where we can work on. Uh, we have actually started conversing uh, with the various banks um, to see what more we can do. Uh, I've also uh, uh, gone over this and talked to some of the uh, uh, financial institutions as well uh, and looking at what can we do to provide a more conducive environment. So I would say three pieces. First is from the industry themselves. Uh, I mean, they're in a better position today to be able to finance new projects, new areas, 
we just need to they just need a good project right to invest in um then secondly uh from uh, our financial institutions and banks uh, how can we do to enthuse them back into the uh, maritime sector and i personally find that i personally think and having several chat green finance is definitely an area which actually most financial institutions are interested in and um there is a lot of potential in maritime sector to invest in that uh then the third of course is from um the uh, government perspective, what can we do to create that environment to foster um, greater confidence in uh, investing in maritime finance? So from three areas, financing is very important. Great, wonderful. Thank you, Lehun. Chongming, I'll let you have the last word on this, on terms uh, of financing. <laughs> Please. Just on the market mechanism aspect uh, that Lehun mentioned. Uh, when it comes to green financing, uh, whether it's from government or from banking sources, I, I think we are seeing an emerging set of criteria uh, as well as a willingness to back that criteria and offer a mo mo be motivated huh, to fund suitable projects. Uh, but hopefully we can go beyond that because if you look at the, uh, the way in which we finance the rest of the activities in our lives and all is much more, um, I would say, uh, much more diverse, uh, private funding, uh, people who are investing out of their own convictions and interests, uh, or say commercial funding, bonds, and so on. Now, what is the equivalent then on tapping in this kind of appetite mm. for, um, say, not just infrastructure, but for CO2 mitigation of products, processes, business models, and so on? Uh, I think we are at the early days of seeing CIX is one example. There are other examples. They have to bring together a combination of good advisory, assessment, accreditation, business model uh, measurement, uh, structuring of funds to put to market, and then the way to engage impact investor community. Uh, if that can be done, I believe there will be a take-up, not the least from the uh, universe of buyers because buyers don't on, only want to buy uh, nature-based credits. Yeah, they, they want to buy into things that are perhaps more related closely to their own industry, not just offset, but create the offset that they can identify with, right? And also uh, general investment itself because uh, people may want to be part of the investor or impact investment uh, future. So this is happening. This is uh, just starting. And I hope that as industry leaders, uh, we will do our part to sponsor it. If you look at some of our recent uh, startup investments, in fact, PSA has uh, also taken a partnership in uh, some of these type of concerns. And if we have good solutions, we will certainly inject into these um, startup companies so that they can be available uh, not just to people in industry, but people who are willing to invest. Uh, if Great I could just add, add, so add, please, but, yes. yeah, I just add one last point. Actually, I think sure. uh, to hit on uh, uh, hit on uh, when it comes to innovation, uh, actually, I find that our VC angel investor we have quite a good, uh, strong, vibrant uh, ecosystem here, and I think we need to build on that uh, because that allows us to continually bring in new ideas and having new investment uh, while willing to take the risk, right? Uh, I mean, considered risk. So I think there is something which would be a very strong foundation and fundamentals to towards uh, bring Singapore to the next level. 
Great, wonderful. I've, I've learned so much and I hope the audience have also um, found it interesting. I found it very stimulating you know, and I think there's not enough time, but we're out of time, you know. So um, for our audience, you know, please do stay tuned for our next segment. But thank you very much for actually joining us here in, in, in this conversation or discussion. Actually, it's more of a conversation with uh, Tan Chong Ming and Ms. Kuala Hoon. And uh, I'd like to actually thank them very much for a very stimulating and uh, uh, innovative and actually very critical insights actually I, I got from this particular sector. So thank you for that. And uh, we hope to, uh, to interact further in the near future. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Oh, please. Take, thank, uh, you, thank you. Stay safe. Take care. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Take care. Stay safe. Thank you. Bye.